Happy New Year and welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth and now that we have celebrated the coming of the Christ child into the world, what is our response as those who are following or seeking to follow? Our response is to give our lives in service and praise and study and joy and fellowship and service. But we start as we worship together today. Come on in. The first scripture reading comes from the book of Psalms, number 111. This is the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has gained renown by his wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He is ever mindful of his covenant. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are continuing on in the Gospel of Mark as we've been the last few weeks. We are still in the first chapter. And if you remember, Mark is the smallest, the shortest duration of all of the Gospels, and Mark does not elaborate much, uh, just a few verses for significant events. So John the Baptist has come, and then Jesus was baptized. He was driven into the wilderness uh, and tempted for 40 days. Then Jesus called the first four disciples. We talked about that last week. And now Jesus goes to the synagogue for the first time for this first kind of public address in who he is. Some of those roles come to play and bear. Listen, Mark 1, 21 through 28. Listen for the word of the Lord. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed and they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching 
with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want you to think for just a minute, when in your educational journey, you have had one of those unique and excellent teachers. Maybe it was elementary school. Maybe it was middle or high or college or some other area. It could be a coach. It could be someone who taught you something somewhere in your journey. Think for a second. I want you to see that person in your mind. Mine is one I've shared before, but I'll share it again. When I was a senior in high school in Walnut Creek, California, outside of San Francisco, my senior English teacher, J.R. Friss, Mr. Friss, he was both terrifying and interesting. He was, came off as kind of aloof, He was brilliant, and he made sure that you knew he was brilliant. He didn't let you get away with anything, and yet education was his passion, and the way that he taught was his passion. One small example, there were class presentations, and I missed it. I don't remember why I missed it, if I was actually sick or there was some kind of Ferris Bueller's day off, I can't exactly remember. But when I came back and said, I need to do my my class presentation, and he said, well, that's not mine to fix, that's yours to fix. I said, okay, how, how do I do that? He said, well, I would suggest that you get in touch with every one of your classmates and you have them come on the day of your choosing before class, 15 to 20 minutes ahead, so you can do your presentation. I thought, what? Now, remember, this was before chat text groups and email groups and strings and smartphones. You had to call people or you had to go talk to people. Who wants to talk to everybody in their high school class? I got along pretty well with everybody, but talking to them, that's a whole different ballpark. And now I have to beg them to come to class so I don't fail my presentation grade. And Mr. Frist said, and I would suggest bribing them with donuts and orange juice. A practice we carry on into the church this very day. So I said, okay. And I started rounding them, rounding them up, had to call on the phone. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Your son is in my English class. Is he around? Could I talk to him? Ah, uh, the days of old. I even had to track a few addresses and go knock on their doors because that's the way it was. And amazingly enough to me, they all agreed to come. So they came, did my report, got an A. But again, that's Mr. Frist saying, no, you can't have class time. My class time is planned out and it is perfect and I won't give you any. You have to fix this on your own. You did this, make it happen. 
no elbow room, and yet a way forward. You fix it, you take accountability, and if you need help, I'll help you. That's one of the things that set him apart. He was also one of those teachers that refused to do it the same way everybody else did. Everybody else was running vocabulary words for the SAT. Listen, list, every day they're running lists. We didn't do that. And he was starting to get heat from the parents. Why aren't you running vocabulary? My son or daughter's future is in your hands. Why are you hampering them? And very Mr. Frisk-like would say, we incorporate these words into our educational conversations every day. And my students know if they hear a word they don't know, then they are to write it down and look it up. And so again, and I'm not saying memorizing is a bad thing to do. If they put us versus the other classes, I don't know where we came out on our SATs. But it was the incorporate, incorporation of those educational principles. He didn't want you just to wrote, memorize, even though that would benefit you. He wanted you to understand and incorporate. And that was his love of education. He helped us to grow. He challenged us, didn't give us an inch, but then gave us what we needed to grow. And I did, as did my class. Today, Jesus does this same thing in the synagogue. As I said before, this is his first public speaking to a group. There may have been some there at the baptism that saw the dove descend, and this is my son with whom I am well pleased. But this is the first time Jesus addresses. They're in Capernaum. That's Peter's hometown. We think we know Peter's house there. That's kind of fun. But our guess is that Peter had inroads and went to this synagogue. And remember, a synagogue, there's only one temple in Jerusalem, and then there were these outcroppings, these Synagogue, synagogue just means a gathering place. So they would come together to teach and to learn and do other uh, life of faith things for the Jewish community. So Peter probably got him the gig to come in and to teach and to read, and Jesus is doing that. So the first thing is they were astounded at his teaching because he taught as one with authority not like the scribes. Throw some shade on the scribes. What is, who are the scribes? Well, like the Pharisees, the scribes would write things down. They would do translating. They would do laws. And both of these groups, scribes and Pharisees, are seeking to do what God told them to do through the Mosaic law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All of those laws that God put in place at that time said, you got to do these things, God says, and you will be my people. I'm giving you parameters on how to do that. And so they continued. That was who they were. But we are to assume that the teaching was not meaningful, that they started to get to a place, and this is what Jesus takes exception with. Through Mark, he fights the scribes, and in Matthew, it's the Pharisees. Uh, by fight, I mean argues with and accuses them of being hypocrites and a brood of vipers and all of those things because they have started worshiping the law. They have started worshiping these regulations. They bring out their uh, in and out list, and if you check off the box, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that, then you're a good, faithful Jew who is a child of God. If you don't do those things, then you are not. And Christ is coming with new 
understanding and authority to say it's not about the laws per se. We're not throwing them out, but why are those laws there? They are there to facilitate a relationship with God. They are not to be worshiped on their own. They are there to help you get closer to God and be the kind of person that God wants you to be. But they had started to idolize this And so they were teaching the law rather than the God who inspired them. And not only that, think of the authorities that you have in your life, a lot of them. If you're at work, it's your boss. If you're at school, it's your teacher, the administration, the hierarchy there, government, IRS. There's all kinds of groups that we belong to where there is authority of people that are over. Sometimes we are the authority for those in different settings as well. That means that they have some power, some rule over you, so that you act and do things in certain ways. Here, Jesus teaches with authority. Why? Because he is the authority. They recognize that he is different, that he is powerful in the way that he teaches, And they recognize it right off the bat. And then, in the middle of that, just like we are right now in this place, in the middle of a service, Jesus is teaching, he's reading scripture, then the unclean spirit comes. Right in the middle, it would be as if one of you got up and started speaking, being overcome, by an unclean spirit. Now, our translation doesn't say demon, but I think some do. Is this just a misunderstanding of physical or mental conditions of the time? Maybe, probably some of that. But you and I have also lived long enough to know that there is real evil in the world, and I do not count out the fact that there could be some kind of taking over of this person. But this unclean spirit, as it says in our translation, is the first one to affirm Christ's identity. That's pretty cool. He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Knows who he is and where he's from. Have you come to destroy us? Which means that he, that spirit knows that Jesus has the power to destroy him. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So Jesus responds, rebukes him and says, be silent, get out of him. And the Spirit does. So we move from Jesus' teaching and authority to this weird miracle that happens in the middle of this synagogue event. So what does that mean for us? You and I both have unclean spirits. Maybe that is the way sin takes us over. Maybe we're not even aware of the ways that we separate ourselves from God. That one word for that is sin. Another way to describe that is unclean spirits that can sometimes take us over. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's fear for ourselves, our present circumstances that are difficult in our life, whether that's health or finances or education or, you know, whatever, 
Life is hard and we are full of fear. Sometimes that takes us over. Sometimes it is other sins that you know, each of you, as do I with me. We're each predisposed to certain sins that can take us over if we don't seek to beat it back and allow room for the Holy Spirit. One image to help with this was a a story about a monastery in Europe that's several hundred feet in the air on a cliff, a rock wall. The only way up and down is on a basket on a rope pulled by the monks at the top. Sign me up. So as there were people... So so a tourist was there with a priest who rode with him. And as this person, they're about halfway up and they're hundreds of feet in the air, but not yet to the top, the tourist is starting to panic and looks up and sees that the rope is frayed. And he speaks to the priest and he says, "Uh, how, how do you know when to replace the rope? The priest says, matter of factly, when it breaks. (laughs) But we find ourselves in that basket of panic often. We see ourselves clinging to that frayed rope in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's temporary, sometimes it's more long term. You've heard the phrases at the end of your rope or hanging on by a thread all kind of come into view here. If we take Ecclesiastes, there's a passage uh, 4, 9 through 12 that we often hear at weddings that talks about the threefold cord is not quickly broken. That threefold cord that we use at weddings is often the groom and the bride and God wound together make a strong foundation for a strong and thick rope that will not quickly be broken. And in the same way, as we hang on to that last thread, as we hang on to the end of our rope, we need to realize that we are a part of that threefold cord as well. You, God, and I will make God's help a separate one. So those three are together. What does it look like that God helps? Very quickly, when I was a child in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, six or seven Went out with a friend, we're playing in the woods, because that's what we did. And we get to this ravine. And we look down. There were rock outcroppings down there, almost like steps, except they weren't. And we said, I bet we can climb down there. I'll go first. So I get a few steps down, and what happens? I fall down to the bottom, and I'm stuck. I can't get out. There's nowhere to walk down and walk back up. It's kind of sealed off on two sides. It is high. I try scratching and clawing. I can't do it. So my friend runs home. Thanks be to God, he had four brothers who had some friends over. So they come and make a literal Arm and arm chain, I can still see it in my mind, coming down this slope, holding on to each other and reach out to a little me 
They grab my hand and they pull me up the side of the mountain. I still have a scar on my stomach. God empowered them to reach out, join people together, to out, outreach and stretch out to help me, someone in need. Not unlike Peter who is sinking when he tries to walk on the water. Jesus throws his hand out as Peter is going under. Come on, I gotcha, I gotcha. And brings him back up. A perfect image for the relationship between God and humankind. Christ reaching down and we reaching out for help and God pulls us every time. God helps us in a variety of ways. A threefold cord. You may find yourself in that basket just as that tourist did. One of the things I liked about that is the priest always rode with them. Why? Because that priest served as a presence of God to them in that terrifying moment. A great image also to know that whatever basket of difficulty, of trial, of fear, of terror, of pain, of isolation, of anxiety, of depression, whatever tragedies you are enduring, Christ is in your basket. And that rope will not break, but sometimes that help comes, you have to reach out to professionals who can help you, to friends and family who can help you, your church family, pastors, youth workers, educators, choir directors, those whom will listen, love, and support you. But sometimes you have to reach out and ask for help when you are in the basket and feel like you're alone. That cord will remain strong and Christ is with you in those moments. So as we go today, Mark is reminding us, Jesus is something, someone exceptional. An amazing teacher who teaches with authority and then shows that authority as the authority by casting out the unclean spirits. So look for the ways that Christ is seeking to teach you every day. And when you find yourself in that basket of terror and fear, know that the rope, though it may be frayed, will hold. That Christ is with you. And reach out and find help as you need it. Hallelujah. Amen.